You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Friday, January 13th. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Sitka Assembly on Tuesday continued to make changes to the rules for tour vendors and commercial vehicles at Harrigan Centennial Hall. It voted to eliminate permit fees for taxis if they're electric, among other updates. In early December, the Assembly voted to change the process for obtaining commercial permits at the city building that serves as the main drop-off point for cruise ship passengers. The new rules required businesses to bid for vendor and outfitter spots outside the building instead of paying a flat fee. It also created annual permit rates for commercial vehicles like taxis and buses. But the assembly wasn't finished there. On Tuesday, it got rid of permit fees for electric vehicles, it changed the permit duration for vendors and outfitters from one to three years, and it shifted the bidding process from sealed to an outcry auction. But there was one proposal that the Assembly rejected. It was a measure to increase the newly established permit fee for vehicles with 30 or more passengers from $1,000 to $2,000. Sitka Sound Cruise Terminal owner Chris McGraw said the Assembly should hold off on the increase until the city does more research to figure out the financial impact the bus traffic has on city infrastructure. Leave leave it at $1,000. That's already more than anybody was anticipating this year. Um, We've had to set our prices to the cruise lines. The other two operators that uh, are going to be impacted by this fee also have already set their pricing, so we're not going to be able to increase prices to recoup these fees. Um, So keep it at the 1,000, do an actual financial analysis to determine what it costs, and then if fees have to be adjusted, adjust the fees. I'm happy to pay to, you know, for, for the impact that I have dropping people off here. Assemblymember Tim Pike noted that at $1,000, larger vehicles would end up paying a lower rate per passenger than the smaller vehicles. You know, equity is always a tricky thing, you know, because equity comes in all sorts of different um, guises, and I think people have different opinions what that actually looks like, and I think we're kind of there on this one. So do we increase uh, the larger ones to match the lower ones, or do we lower what's not on the table is to lower everybody down below Uh, where they were based upon what the bigger one was. Pike said he'd support the increase for larger vehicle fees. But Assemblymember Kevin Mosher said he was firmly against the hike and said they should review it at the end of the next tour season. These buses are bringing people, hence, um, you know, paying customers, hence tax dollars, into town. They're bringing them all in here. We were just paying, we were helping pay to uh, bring them uh, a couple years ago, and now we're we're increasing um, the $1,000 is enough. I, I think the doubling it is a little excessive. Ultimately, the measure to increase the bus fee failed on a three to four vote, with Assembly members Mosier, Crystal Duncan, Chris Weistad, and Mayor Stephen Eisenbeis voting against it. Members of Alaska's legislature will soon have more housing options in Juneau. As KTOO's Katie Anastas reports, legislators and staff say new apartment buildings just for them could help address common challenges they face when finding housing. The Assembly Building is a three-story office building just steps away from the Capitol. Last month, a legislative committee approved spending $6.6 million to convert it into 33 apartments as early as next year. It could help address some of the challenges legislators and their staff often face when looking for housing. For one, the downtown location could reduce the need to bring a car. That'd be a perk for legislators like Anchorage Senator Bill Wilikowski. He stopped bringing a car with him to Juneau a few years ago after an icy, windy stop in Whittier to drop off his car at the ferry. It was like a comedy scene. I remember I, I fell down and I couldn't get back up and I was crawling, trying to get back to my car because it was like sheet ice and like 
80 mile an hour winds and then my glasses flew off into the into the ocean <laughs> it was crazy it would also bring the amount of session housing closer to pre-pandemic levels the legislative affairs agency keeps a list of rooms apartments and houses for rent submitted by landlords executive director jessica geary says the list got significantly smaller during covid and then there's the issue of airbnb We've had some people try to list using sort of their short-term Airbnb rental rates, so a few hundred dollars a night for some, and we've we've turned down those listings because we want it to still be affordable. We want Juno to be a, you know, friendly, affordable place for the legislature to come. Juno Representative Sarah Hannon chairs the committee that approved the spending. She says they haven't determined how much rent will cost. The goal is not to undercut the market, and the goal isn't really to become a profitable landlord, right? We're not going into the landlord business to make money, but I think there will be an expectation that it um, pays for itself and doesn't undercut any market that's out there. Another major benefit will be availability during special sessions. Many leases meant for legislators and staff end in late April or early May, because that's when tourism season starts in Juneau. If the session goes longer than that, Geary says, it can put tenants in a tough spot. Ships are coming earlier and earlier, so it's definitely an issue. Like, we're usually good on housing until, like, May 1st, and then it starts um, getting a little bit difficult. Mike Mason has witnessed that firsthand. He's been a legislative staffer since 2015. I mean, I can tell you horror stories of, like, I had housing uh, for us when we had five special sessions in a year. I did not have to lose my housing. Almost everybody else did. And, like, I'm stashing people's clothes in my house and all this kind of thing because people are just couch surfing. Mason is working for Anchorage Senator Lukey Tobin this year. Tobin says the housing crunch in April and May can have an impact on legislators' ability to get work done. One of the things I've noticed is that that 90-day period of time actually results in some work having to be shifted because many staffers are moving out of the place that they had secured into new accommodations. And so you, you really see an impact into the speed and efficiency of some of the bills moving forward because of that unfortunate blip. The Legislative Affairs Agency still has rentals listed for the upcoming session, which starts on Tuesday. Legislators and staff still in need of housing, as well as Juno homeowners with rentals available, can contact the agency's office. In Juno, I'm Katie Anastas. Beavers are moving into the Arctic. Scientists at University of Alaska Fairbanks are seeing thousands of new beaver ponds changing streams and rivers and accelerating climate change. The effects are so dramatic they can be seen from space. KUAC's Robin reports. Climate change is allowing taller shrubs to move into the Arctic, and beavers are following. It's shocking the places that they are. You go out to these windswept tundra areas and you just think, really? Dr. Ken Tape is an ecologist with the University of Alaska Fairbanks. He and his colleagues have found beaver lodges in those unlikely treeless plains with few shrubs. But overall, the Alaskan Arctic is becoming a friendlier place for beavers. There's more shrubby vegetation, winters are shorter, and there's more unfrozen water in these streams. So we know that their habitat's improving. Tape says American beavers are now rebounding from overtrapping in the past, but he has no evidence that they have lived in the Arctic before. It's hard for us to tell 
how much of this is them just reclaiming some former range and how much of this is climate change encouraging them into these new areas. Tape and his colleagues, Jason Clark, Benjamin Jones, and Benjamin Gagliotti from University of Alaska Fairbanks, and Seth Kantner from Kotzebue, published a paper last spring about the beaver intrusion. They looked at aerial photos from the early 1950s and found no signs of beaver north of Alaska's boreal forests. Then in 1980s satellite imagery, the first signs of widened streams and rivers began to appear. In pictures from 2003 to 2017, the beaver ponds doubled. In one near no attack, what used to be a squiggly line of a creek now looks like a chain of beads as ponds form behind beaver dams. The group found from 11 to 12,000 new beaver ponds across northwest Alaska, from Nome to Kotzebue. Where they didn't see them was on the far north slope, past the Brooks Range. The images are pretty convincing evidence that a warming Arctic is what's driving the beaver colonization. We've caught them in the act. All of northern Alaska has zero beaver ponds. And the reason when you sort of overlay topographic and climatic variables on those 12,000 locations, what you see is that temperature is a big constraint. It is the big constraint that is preventing them from going on the North Slope. The data also show that the beavers are accelerating the warming. When you put a pond on a stream or on pre-existing tundra vegetation, it absorbs heat more readily. That warmer water uh, is going to thaw permafrost, which we see happening. There's a lot more open water, more melting permafrost, and more groundwater flow now across the Seward Peninsula. And whether this is good or bad depends on how adaptable you are. A warming Arctic will benefit some species. At the end of winter, that's your coldest moment of the year, you still have liquid water at the bottom of these ponds. And so it's almost like having a groundwater spring. You're going to have species in that stream that suddenly can survive year-round. Beaver colonization of the Arctic represents a disturbance as great as wildfire, the scientists say. There's no other animal that has changed the Arctic so much, so fast, except for humans. In Fairbanks, I'm Robin. Taking a look at the community calendar. Sheldon Jackson Museum hosts biographer Marsha Biederman's presentation on Agnes Young McAlpin at noon today by Zoom only. For information on how to join the presentation, check out the community calendar posting. Juno author Betsy Longenbaugh presents Anatomy of a Murder Investigation and signs copies of her new book at 6.30 p.m. today at the Sitka Public Library. Sitka Fine Arts Camp presents two nights of comedy at 7 p.m. today and tomorrow, January 13th and 14th at the Odessa Theater. Tickets are $20 at fineartscamp.org. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News. 